When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Dominant. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Monday, 8822. Dominant is the word, and we saw some dominance over the weekend in Major League Baseball. We're now in the dog days of summer where people are dreaming about October. Certain teams are dreaming about the season ending. Other teams are dreaming about starting the playoffs. This is when you really have to buckle down if you're a contender This is when you have statement games and statement series. This is when you meet with your team, either individually or collectively, and talk about the importance of games right now when you are in a race, the importance of making up in the standings, making up games, holding off your closest suitor. These are big moments in Major League Baseball, and this weekend, we saw a few things that are noteworthy And I want to just put them in perspective for you. I want to start in New York, where everyone is talking about the Mets and Yankees, as they should be, with the Mets and Yankees both having 70 wins, the Mets and Yankees both looking like there could be a Subway Series. Someone asked me, Coca, somewhere this weekend where I was, came to talk to me about baseball, about nothing personal, actually, and about the Marlins, and asked me, about a Subway Series and whether or not I would predict a Subway Series and whether or not it was good for the game. And I told him what we would say inside the commissioner's office at meetings. We did not want Subway Series because broadcasters don't want that. You want one team from New York, not both, because when you've got two teams from New York, you've got an entire side of the country that disengages and stops caring. The left coast is not going to be all that excited with the New York, New York World Series. When they had their Subway Series in 2000, that was the first year I was in the game 
And that's when I learned it, when Bud Selig explained that he was unhappy with that Subway Series. So do I think there'll be a Subway Series? It's not impossible. As a matter of fact, the Mets currently have a better chance than the Yankees in my mind. Did you watch Jacob deGrom yesterday? Now, Coco's a Mets fan, so I assume that he was spending his entire Sunday watching baseball, watching the Mets take four out of five from the second place Atlanta Braves. But I wasn't as focused on the series while it was a statement, and the Mets extended their lead to seven games in the loss column, and it's their biggest lead that I can remember that they've had this season since Atlanta started playing so well. doesn't matter. I'm much more focused on Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer and what it means to have two aces who are healthy at the top of your rotation come October. And we are far from October. So the dominance that you're seeing in Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, it's noteworthy right now, but it's also early. These guys have to stay healthy through August, through September, and through October. You remember last year, Max Scherzer got a tired arm in the World Series with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers eventually lost to the Braves in the World Series. Dominance in August is fun, but I'm paying attention to what they're doing, what the front office is doing with these pitchers. These guys are not, what's the expression? Uh, This is a Monday morning mind blanker, bender, mind they are, um, ah, whatever, Coca. Ready? Four, six, nine. The front offices are paying very close attention to what's happening with Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. They are no spring chickens. Max Scherzer just turned 38 years old. Jacob DeGrom just came back from injury. He's on a pitch limit. The game he threw yesterday, everyone was all excited CBS is ramping up for breaking news, and so is ESPN. MLB Network's ready to cut in. Perfect game for DeGrom through three, through four, through five. Everyone's excited. Luckily, he gave up a two-run homer, I think, and was taken out of the game in the sixth and lost the perfect game on a walk and then lost the the shutout and the no-hitter. The front office was rooting for DeGrom to give up a hit and a walk because they were going to pull him anyway. You know my view of pitch counts in general. We baby our pitchers way too much. We do not prepare them to throw innings. Therefore, they don't throw enough innings during the course of a career. Therefore, their arms are not built up. Therefore, we don't let them go through the lineup. Therefore, we have to rely on the bullpen. Therefore, we have to spend money on the bullpen. And it's the circle game. But in Jacob DeGrom's case, when you've got a pitcher who you know is injured, this is what I was taught. And it was a pretty good analogy, and you know my view of guns. But here was the analogy. Every pitcher, this is actually, Coca, you can decide if you keep this in, but there's two ways that it was described to me. Every pitcher has a certain number of bullets in his arm, and every pitcher has a certain number of eggs in its body. You know how women have a certain number of eggs when they're born, and that's the number of eggs you have. That's it. Well, you can use the gun analogy or the female analogy. It doesn't matter. The fact is that's exactly how it works with pitching. It's not like there's regeneration. 
Your arm can only throw a certain number of pitches. When do you want to use them? How important is it for Jacob DeGrom to get a no-hitter or perfect game? Zero. How much were the Mets rooting for him not to have to be taken out of the game so they had to go through the surus of taking a guy out with a no-hitter? They were more than happy. The front office of the Mets is looking at what DeGrom and Scherzer are offering right now, and they're holding their breath that they can maintain it. Do you know that we used to root when there was a pitcher who had lost, let's say, not lost in 15 straight starts? That front office will root for the pitcher to lose prior to the postseason starting. When there's a hitter who hasn't struck out in a game, when there is some streak going into the playoffs that is so unbelievable that you don't expect that it can continue, you root for it to end prior to October because that's when it matters. The New York Mets are going to be in the playoffs. They are likely to win the division, but either way, they will be in the playoffs. And the focus and the sole focus is keeping them healthy and keeping Edwin Diaz healthy at the back end of the bullpen. You go in and the Mets, if they win the division and have one of the top two records in the National League, they'll get a bye in the first round. They will start a five-game series with DeGrom and Scherzer ready for games one and two, and that's the order I would go. You go DeGrom, then you go Scherzer, then you figure out what you're going to do, whether you go with Carrasco or Walker or Bassett, it doesn't really matter. And the reason why it is so important to have two starters like that when you are the other team, the, the mentality when you start a series on the road is you want to get one of two games on the road before you go home. You don't want to go down 2 nothing in a five-game series. You don't even want to go down 2 nothing in a seven-game series. So what you say is you want to get one of two of the first two. When you know you're going against Scherzer and DeGrom, that's like going against Wood and Pryor. Is it possible to win one of the games? Maybe, but not likely. Is it possible to win both? Even more unlikely. And so the mental advantage that the team has when you've got these pitchers going for you, in the regular season, it counts a lot. Your clubhouse loves it when you've got a good starting pitcher going. Your clubhouse does not love it. Your hitters don't love it when they know that their starter stinks. Like picture the Nationals knowing that they've got Patrick Corbin going. When they come to the ballpark, they put a lot of pressure on themselves because they have to score 75 runs to win. When you know you've got DeGrom and Scherzer, you are saying all we've got to do is eke out two runs and we will win this game. The mentality of that ace, of that team who has that ace is why these pitchers get paid so much money. In an era, I mind you, you mind me, we mind each other, when starting pitching seems to not be the premium that it used to be. Right? These starting pitchers. We had a World Series last year, man. I remember who knew who was starting. There were injuries left and right. Remember how injured the Astros were when they were in the World Series? Couldn't even name some of their starters. Bullpen games in the World Series, totally insane, right? But does that mean that that is a tenable solution? That's not what front offices are saying. 
there were all these articles about how what happened is at the end of starting pitching, the death of starting pitching, everybody's a five and dive and you get paid $15 million to do it. The smartest people in baseball know that if you've got the best starting pitching and the best back, at, back end of your bullpen, you're going to be the best performing team. That's what the playoffs are like. And so the Mets are in the position right now, the enviable position where they really believe they can win the World Series. I love that. That's amazing. On the other side in New York, the Yankees got swept by the Cardinals. The Yankees are 6-11 and since the All-Star break. Granted, Giancarlo Stanton got hurt like four games after the break. He's been out. He'll come back. Why are the Yankees losing these games? Jordan Montgomery, by the way, shoved it up their keister as a member of the Cardinals. The guy, there's nothing worse. This has happened several times in my career. When you trade a guy who then faces you immediately, or you trade for a guy who's going to be facing his old team, nightmare scenario. When you're watching that as an executive, you are rooting hard against the player who used to be yours, who you traded. I will never forget in 2005, if you look this up, Coca, you will find that we released Al Leiter and he signed with the Yankees and his first game after we released him and he stunk for us, he pitched on national television on a Sunday night and he was dominant. And we're sitting watching the game, getting yelled at by the owner. How did we let him go? How is he all of a sudden this good? What are we doing wrong? Get rid of our pitching coach, blah, 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 blah. Going crazy. So you think that Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman were not rooting against Jordan Montgomery when he pitched for the Cardinals against the Yankees only minutes and days after being traded? Well, I think he went five plus shutty. And the Yankees lost yesterday again in a slugfest to the Cardinals. So when they're hitting, they're not pitching. When they're pitching, they're not hitting. Is there panic in the Bronx? So once the trade deadline passes and there's no more trades that can happen, which is what it's like now, there's no August trades anymore. Once you know that anyone on your roster now, they're the only people eligible to be on your playoff roster. Do you know how much time Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner sit around talking about what if, do we need that, should we get this? They don't. They know the exact bed they made because all 30 teams are lying in their own bed. When you look at the Yankees lineup, it's imposing by name, right? Having Aaron Judge is pretty amazing, MVP likely MVP along with Otani. Josh Donaldson, that guy won an MVP. He's hitting 220. DJ LeMayhew, yeah, he was good last year. The Yankees lineup is fine. It's by no means the best lineup in baseball. The starters they trotted out against the Cardinals, fine. Herman, fine. Nothing to write home about. But the Yankees have won 70 games, people will tell me. How are you not seeing that they're the best team in baseball? Only because I've been saying it for all these months, getting railed by all of you Yankee fans. That is heresy that you're talking that way. 
All right. The only thing I will mention, though, is that a five-game losing streak, it's not a thing. People in the front office, the president of the team, the GM, they don't focus on it at all. The Marlins in 03 had a long losing streak in August and ended up winning the World Series. Al Leiter, Coke is telling me, I didn't say he pitched against the Marlins in 05. He pitched for the Marlins in 05, and then he went on national television for the Yankees right after we released him. His first game was against Boston. He pitched great. Oh, he did stink the rest of the year? He had one good game, and that's it? That's funny. I only remember his one good game. Now, that's funny how the memory goes. He had a six ERA the rest of the year for the Yankees. Did they let him pitch that entire year? Did they release him too? I can't even remember. God, he was supposed to be so good for us in 05. Supposed to be the veteran in the rotation. He was supposed to be the guy who came in and made it so we could win our second World Series in three years. We had the whole lineup ready to go. We had Delgado. God, until 2012, that was the most disappointing season ever. It reminds me, though, of what's going on a little bit in New York. They've got a team that can do it, but they just... Here, here's the thing. Here's how it works. When you believe what you read about yourself and only the good part and not the bad part, it's going to cost you. I wonder whether the Yankees got caught up or Brian Cashman got caught up in all of the talk of how good they are and how dominant they were and how exciting it is to have Aaron Judge and the type of season he was having and the signing of Garrett Cole, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if they actually got caught up in it. Hmm. So the Yankees lose five straight, get swept by the Cardinals. We talked about the Mets. And I'm going full Vanessa Williams and saving the best for last. Did you see what happened with the Padres over the weekend? The San Diego Padres who brought in Juan Soto. They brought in Josh Bell. They brought in Brandon Drury, like the last two names are these great trade deadline pickups. It is their World Series odds, breaking news. They're now 4-1 to one to win the National League. They're down to... Whatever they are to win the World Series, 10 to 1, 8 to 1, 6 to 1, 4 to 1, 6 to 9, 9 to 6. They just got swept by the Dodgers. Big deal. It's the Dodgers, best team in baseball. Maybe. Best team in the National League. Maybe. How many times do we have to tell you that trading for Juan Soto does not mean that you are going to the World Series and winning the World Series? Look no further than Anaheim, where you have two of the five top best players in baseball, and they're not even going to win 81 games. They're not even going to make the playoffs. Have you looked at the standings where the San Diego Padres are a game and a half away from not being in the playoffs at all? Forget winning the LCS or going to the World Series. And the only reason they're a game and a half up is because the Brewers haven't won a game since they traded Josh Hader. They won one game. Did you see, um, oh, this is not in the rundown, but side note, did you see Mark Antonazio, who's the owner for the Brewers, he gave an interview about the Josh Hader trade. And he said during the interview, listen, you may think I'm this meddling owner, but I get spoken to by David Stearns, my president of baseball operations. When he comes to me and tells me he wants to do something, I tell him, go ahead and do it. And he said he wanted to do this. He totally sold his president of baseball ops under the bus. You should check out the clip on Twitter. But owners can do that because they're the owners. I would never do that as a president. But our owner would do that because owners 
I guess that's what you get when you own a team. You're allowed to do whatever you want. But to actually come out the way he did and pretend, I've known Mark since he bought the team from Bud Selig. Mark cannot pretend that he just sits next to the dugout and cheers and stands up and yells and doesn't know one thing that's going on and waits for his GM to tell him what's happening. And he dropped the name not just of David Stearns, but also in this clip, Matt Arnold, who's a guy that I interviewed. And uh, we did not hire him. He was really good, and he's now a, an accomplished executive. But naming them, just very bizarre to me because it's totally not true. But there's a level of anger and embarrassment right now with Milwaukee because it happens to coincide with the hater trade that they've had this tough stretch. But the Brewers have been passed by the Cardinals who swept the Yankees. So the Brewers are in the wild card, but they're a game and a half. So right now, if the season ended, the Brewers would not even make the playoffs for the first time in four years, maybe. I think they've made it four straight years, whatever the case is. So it happens to be pretty fascinating what's happening to Milwaukee. So getting back to the Padres, they bring in Soto. Juan Soto has no home runs, no RBIs. I think he's played five or six games. Not the end of the world. The Padres went into Los Angeles. They wanted to sweep the Dodgers. When you lose the first game, you say, we're going to win the series. When you lose the second game, you say, there's no way we are going to get swept. If you are a betting person, you go into last night's game and you say the Padres are going to salvage a game in this three-game series. And when you're the Dodgers in that position, you talk to your team before that game and you want to squash them. You want to let it be known that they will not beat you, that you are not settling for two out of three series win, that you want the sweep. You want it to be very clear that you are still the best team. And they are way better than San Diego. They're way deeper. They're way more diverse. They can run. They can throw. They can play defense. They can hit. They can hit for power. They can hit for average. The top of their lineup is way better than any part of the San Diego lineup. It's not even close. So ESPN does the game of the of the week with the Padres Dodgers and they're interviewing the owner. The owner is taking the victory lap. His name is Peter Seidler. He's a good enough guy. He was the not the, the general partner when I knew him. That was Ron Fowler, but he was around and I saw him at all the meetings and I saw him when I was in San Diego, etc. Nice enough guy. Wants to win, no doubt about it has overseen a complete change in your eyes about the Padres. Payroll's gone from like 70 to 210 in the last few years. They've like double, tripled their payroll. So he does an interview. And if our owner or anybody's going to be interviewed during a national broadcast game, we are doing a media session. We are preparing that scout, that executive, that owner, because the national audience is always bigger than your local audience. And so we're talking about what subjects are going to come up. How do we want to talk about the trade? How do we want to talk about the Dodgers? How do we want to talk about our position? And the best they could come up with was Peter Seidler saying, they're the dragon up the freeway that we're trying to slay. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I thought it was outstanding. They're the dragon up the freeway. That's the nicest thing that other owners call the Dodgers organization. But let's just say they're the dragon that we're trying to slay. How do you think players react when they see that? They're mortified. Players actually on the Padres, they don't look at it that way. 
they don't look over at the Dodgers and say, my God, we can't beat them. I can give you an example of how I know it's true, A, because I've spoken to players about it and to executives about it. There was a period of time when the Marlins could not beat the Phillies. I don't remember when it was, but there was a multi-year period over multiple different regimes and players that we had where we just couldn't beat that team. It was crazy. And I would speak to the players about it, and they wouldn't even realize. Players don't think that way. They don't say, oh, God, we've lost two. We got to salvage the game, or we've won two. We got to go for the sweep. That's what the front office is saying. That's what we communicate to the players, and they let it go in one ear, out the other. They don't care. You look at Juan Soto last night having a fine old time. He was mic'd up, funny guy, great guy, talented guy. Great hitter, no doubt, but we know great hitters alone aren't going to win you a pennant. They're not going home and crying. They're not sitting in the clubhouse, despondent beyond repair. They're on to the next series. It was always so frustrating for me as team president. I wanted the players to care as much as I did. I wanted them to feel the effect of that particular game. And when I would sit and talk to players in the food room before games and ask them about this, they would say, we don't have the luxury that you do. We can't sit there and watch the game and and hold on to that game and prepare for the next game. We've got to let it go. We can't look at a particular game or a particular series. We're running a marathon and you're trying to tell me that you want to get worked up over a 100-yard stretch? We're not going to do it. So there's really no reason for an owner to ever give a quote like that because the players don't think about it. They don't care about it. And why would you want to ever let the Dodgers know that there's even a chance that they're up in your head? You just don't want to do it. I think the Padres have a problem, Coca. I really do. Hey, wait to see when we tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, we'll revisit it. If it doesn't happen, we won't revisit it. I have a bunch of wait to sees on the Padres, but I got one for you now. Everyone's calling on them to win everything. Uh, They're not going to make it out of the first round of the playoffs. That's even if they make the playoffs. The Padres will not see the league championship series in the National League. That's the wait to see. All right, when we come back, We're going to review a series. I had a lot of content. I was so tired this weekend, recovering from the trip, trying to get some sleep, was up at 3 a.m., was bike riding and trying to figure out what's going on with my hamstring and what I can do, what I can't do. I watched a bunch of series. I'm going to review one of them, and we're going to talk about the hit king in Major League Baseball. Come on back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you. Hope you had a great weekend. Thank you. Please rate, review, subscribe, follow. Get on Apple, write a review if you want. Get on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Ask any questions. Hit follow. Have fun with us. Thank you for engaging the way you do with nothing personal. Without you, there's nothing. And with you, there's plenty. And we're going to keep going. Watch a movie every day or a series. I've been watching a bunch of series. There's a new series on Apple. I don't know how new it is, but I watched it in a binge situation. But I think... They have it come out once a week. Someone, uh, I was speaking to maybe my daughter about that this weekend, and it was pointed out to me something that surprised me, that the networks, the, the streaming networks, like releasing things one week at a time because it stops you from getting the 30-day free trial and then canceling. Whereas if you can binge a show that you wanna watch and it's bingeable from start to finish, you can do the 30-day trial, watch the series, then cancel the network. I don't know, I mean, isn't it like the Columbia House thing where you don't cancel because it's so hard to cancel, so you end up not canceling, which is how you actually have 49 streaming services? Anyway, I watched Blackbird. Blackbird is a true story about a criminal who's a serial killer who's in prison and he's in a maximum security prison and they're trying to find out where the bodies are buried of these girls who he killed. And they think the best plan is to go full John Travolta, Nicolas Cage. And they send in this good-looking drug dealer gun smuggler played by Elton John. His name is actually Taron Edgerton. He played Elton John in Rocketman. Um, I assume Taron took some juice before he took on this role because you don't get that body from push-ups and sit-ups, by the way. And I'm not criticizing it. I'm in, but let's be honest. You and I could do that all day long and we're not going to look like he did in this movie, in this limited series of six episodes. So this guy's in prison at a minimum security prison. The FBI comes up to him and says, hey, I got a plan. 
go to the maximum security prison. No one's going to know you're there except the psychologist and the warden. We're going to put you right next to the serial killer. Make friends with him. Find out where the bodies are buried. Don't get your ass kicked. Don't get shanked. And if you get us the information, we'll commute the rest of your sentence. Good luck. And the whole series is about how he tries to get a confession from the serial killer played by the guy from Kingdom. I want to say it's Paul Walker Hauser, but Paul Walker is the Fast and the Furious actor. Paul David Hauser, David Paul Hauser, Paul Walter Hauser. Yes. Thank you. Who's a great actor. Remember him in Kingdom? Been in a bunch of things. He plays a very creepy serial killer. So Edgerton goes in, this is a true story, goes into the maximum security prison, gets all the information he needs, or does he? Gets out, maybe. And he's trying to do it because he wants to see his father before his father died. Ironically, his father is played by Ray Liotta in his final on-screen appearance before he died in real life. The reason to watch Blackbird is the performance by Edgerton and Hauser are both Emmy-worthy. It is unbelievable how perfectly cast they are, how realistic the in-prison scenes are, how scary it must have been for Jimmy Keene, who's the prison, the, the minimum security gun runner who went in, how dangerous it was, and how crazy the FBI is because they don't really care if Jimmy Keene gets killed, doesn't get killed. They just want him and are using him to get information from this total loon. It was not even six hours. Each episode was maybe 48 minutes, six episodes. It's a one-dayer if you don't sleep a lot, two-dayer if you do. And watch for Ray Liotta's last performance because you owe it to Ray Liotta to do that. And he was fine. He plays the father. If he weren't dead, it would not be a noteworthy Ray Liotta performance. But he is dead, therefore it is. But you're watching it to get inside the mind of a serial killer and how people can be manipulated, both the FBI and a serial killer. It's called Blackbird. Blackbirds, Blackbird dancing at the edge of night. That's the song that was in Across the Universe, sung by Evan Rachel Wood. Yes, of course, that's also a Beatles song. Apparently, blackbirds circle around dead people. Spoiler alert, I don't know whether that's true. I don't know if that's just a myth. I don't know why the series needs to be called that, but you find out why late in the six-episode arc, and it's not even germane to the action or to the plot or to the result. And Blackbird reminds me of the song so much that I found the title distracting. All of that said, make sure you watch it. When you have a microphone, one of the things they teach you in Don't Get Canceled School is that you've got the responsibility of the microphone and that it's always live. That's what you're taught when you're gonna be a public figure and you're gonna do interviews. You're always on the record and mics are always hot. Now, when you're on set, when you're in different places, they'll say in your ear, your mic's hot. But guess what? When your mic is cold, people in the production in the control room still hear what you're saying. 
When you've got a microphone, you just got to watch your mouth. Pete Rose was on a hot mic this weekend, and everyone in the on the inter, internet, on the Google, on the Twitter, on the Instagram, they're like in a frenzy because Pete Rose said SH star T and C the the O C word that is the name for is it a male rooster or a male chicken? Whatever it is. It's that thing that you do watching things fight, that word. So Pete Rose is on the air as an octogenarian because he was celebrated as part of the 1980 championship team in Philadelphia. And the reason why this is such big news is for the first time since his suspension, Pete Rose was on a baseball field. Pete Rose was introduced as part of the 1980 team. He got a standing ovation from the seven people who were in the stands during the introduction. And this was a big deal, but not really. Let me take you behind the scenes of Rob Manford making the decision along with the owner of the Phillies, John Middleton. They went public saying that they spoke to other members of the 1980 championship team. They asked other members, are you good with having Pete Rose as part of the celebration? Pete Rose, as you know, not just is suspended for gambling. Pete Rose was accused of having sex with an underage girl. He claims that it was consensual and that she was overage. There's a claim that she was underage, but it was in Ohio, not in Ohio, partly in Ohio, only in Ohio. Whatever the case is, his teammates wanted him on the field. And Rob Manford has spent countless hours dealing with the Pete Rose situation. We gave him a solution. We were in his office at 245 Park Avenue. And we were talking to him one day about the Pete Rose situation. And the suggestion was, no, we said no front office is going to hire him. So you don't have to worry about that in terms of his suspension. No one is going to have him in the dugout as a coach or as a manager. No one's going to have him as a general manager. He won't even be a special assistant. But why not allow for him to be reinstated for the sole purpose of the writers deciding whether they're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. Because the big discussion around Pete Rose is whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not eligible to be in the Hall of Fame because he's on the suspended list, the permanently suspended list. Every time he tries to come back, and it's like a parole hearing, it's like Red in, in Shawshank Redemption, he goes in and just says, no matter what I say, you're not giving me parole, see you later. And then one time, all of a sudden, Red is paroled. So Pete Rose goes in, he goes in, and Rob Manford pretends, and Bud Selig, they pretend they read his appeal, and they don't, and they just have someone else read it and then deny it. But you do not have to allow him back in the game, but you can take him off the suspended list, and therefore, he would then become eligible for Hall of Fame. So the owner of the Phillies calls up and says, listen, right now he's not allowed to be in a major league park. How do you want to play this? And Manford gave a one-off exception for Pete Rose to be at this celebration. That is not, people are saying the Philadelphia owner is the one who did this. His presence, Pete Rose's presence, was only due to Rob Manford. But does that mean that he's now eligible for the Hall of Fame? No. Does it mean he's 
going to have his suspension overturned? No. Pete Rose has done more to damage his chances since he got suspended than any action he took before he got suspended. And it's not because he goes to the Hall of Fame and sells autographs in both Vegas and Cooperstown. And it's not because he acknowledges the fact that he gambles now and didn't really gamble then, but I did gamble on baseball, but never against his own team. Whatever the case that Pete Rose always says, he always seems to be stepping in it. Who exactly is advising Pete on his reinstatement plan? Who is advising Pete how to talk, how to answer questions? My experience with Pete is that nobody's advising him because he doesn't want to listen to anyone. He had a great quote. He had a really good quote the other, just last night. And the quote was, uh, I tweeted about it actually. It was something about, he, he called, he was at, being asked about the sexual issue that he had when he was in his 30s and she was in her teens. And he said something like, that was 50 years ago, babe. And people were very critical of that. And I tweeted some Sonny and Cher reference to it. But I want to point out, having worked with octogenarians before and being approximately two and a half decades from being one, there are certain ways that people talk of a certain age. And it is definitely not appropriate anymore. Times have changed. These people don't. And for them, they don't mean to be or sound racist or misogynistic. They just are racist and misogynistic. But it's not because he says, babe. It's because of all the other stuff. So when we focus on a word that's used by people, of course, I'm not talking about the trigger words that are out there. I'm talking about the where people say, do you remember Tootsie, the movie? I may be aging myself. Levitard would know what it is. Dustin Hoffman, Dabney Coleman. And Dabney Coleman would always refer to the women on set. He was the director of a soap opera. He would always call them things like babe or darling or tootsie, like come do this. And back then women would take it, but Dustin Hoffman as a man dressed as a woman to get a part would not allow himself to be spoken to that way because he recognized it was wrong. But the people who talk that way, it's just different. It doesn't make it right but at least try to understand. Now, the good news is we are a mere 20 years away. Let's say it's 20. Let's say, hopefully, for everyone who's 80, they live past 105. But let's just say 20 years away. People my age and younger, so I'm 54, so everyone's sort of 60 and below, we don't talk that way. We don't have expressions that get misinterpreted. So when the older people who do have these expressions that are unfortunate because they're passe and shouldn't be used, when they die out, so will the use of those words and of those expressions. That is the hope that we have. I don't know if it's possible. People don't actually describe things that way, but I do. I think that things die off with people. 
I guess we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, go listen to the Pete Rose clip. You're going to laugh when he says the C word and the S word. He just sounds silly. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. Ooh, Friday we gave you two picks. How do we do? The Dodgers beat the Padres and the Braves beat the Mets. I picked the Braves to win in the only game of their five-game series. We're now 80 and 65. I want to talk about the game tonight, and I just want to confirm what I know to be true. When you are a team like the Padres and you just got swept by the Dodgers, you want to play so badly. And the Padres are going home and facing the Giants, and they've got Blake, I stink, but I wish I'd been kept in the World Series game, Snell. This type of game, actually, the players do pay attention to. The front office pays attention to. Bud Black is going to manage it like a playoff game. The Padres have got to win this game, and we are all over them. You want to rebound from that Dodger series. You want to forget about it as quickly as possible, and that will happen tonight. Padres over the Giants as we are 80 and 65. All right, I want to end today's show talking about Kareem Hunt and spend a few minutes on that if you will indulge me because I have had it. Kareem Hunt is a abuser of women. Are we clear? Kareem Hunt was released by the Chiefs, saved by the Browns, paid money by the Browns way before Deshaun Watson. So it should be very clear where Cleveland is when it relates to players and their treatment of women. This should not be a, oh my God, moment. The Browns have changed. The Browns gave him a two-year, $12 million contract. The guy didn't deserve to play another down in professional football, but we already know that the NFL could care less about bad behavior by its players. Kareem Hunt should spend his life thanking Cleveland ownership, GM, and fans. And this weekend, he asked for and demanded a trade. It worked me up, to say the least. The Cleveland Browns got that demand and they did the opposite of what the Houston Texans did with Deshaun Watson, who wanted a trade. They finally gave it to him. We'll see whether or not the Nets are going to do it for Durant, who demanded a trade from Brooklyn. The Browns did not wait to see. They immediately said, no thanks. You might want to come to practice now and get your reps Otherwise, you're going to lose money. And Kareem Hunt said, hmm, I guess I better get back to practice. Do you know why teams choose to say yes to some, some desires or wishes to be traded and they say no to others? There's one particular reason. It has to do with the fame and the skill of the player. And it also has to do with the power of the player. Just keep in mind that Kareem Hunt is not a star. Kareem Hunt has probably played in half the games for the Browns. He's not even their number one running back. He is not someone who the fans will rally behind in his desire to either get out or get into a place. 
So when a player who does not have that sort of PR leverage or social media power asks for something, you are more often than not going to say no because you do not want to make the player empowerment worse than it already is. When, however, it is a player of great stature, like a Durant, like a Deshaun Watson, you actually have to acquiesce and indeed attempt to trade that player, though acknowledging you are going to get full value for that player. You are not going to give him away, which is why the Nets haven't traded Durant yet. They're not going to give him away. They don't need to, but they are going to respect it, try it, and then build up the evidence to the fan base. Hey, we heard this guy. We appreciate it, though we're sad about it. We just couldn't get it done. Don't hate him. Don't hate me. Come to games. Cheer for the player. Those are the power players. The Kareem Hunts of the world? Find me 10 fans who are going to stand up and say, I can't believe that you didn't take care of Kareem Hunt and what he wanted. Nobody will. So even when it comes to players demanding trades, it's just business. Welcome to Cleveland, because you're staying. It's nothing personal.